Well, we're going to look together this morning at John chapter 4 and what may well be a very familiar passage to you. Uh, we are going to think about this lady. We know her as the woman of Samaria. And I want to begin by reading some words of Jesus to his disciples later in the chapter when uh, they're urging him to have uh, something to eat. And in verse 35 of John 4, he says, Do you not say four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. The particular phrase, I tell you, open your eyes. Now I want to ask a question. Do we see people, people around us, in the same way that the Lord Jesus Christ sees them. Uh, what's quite obvious here is that the disciples seem almost totally unaware of what is happening. This must be one of the most significant times in the ministry of Jesus in terms of the people who were believing in him. That lovely statement where in verse 42 the people say to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Uh, in the most unlikely of places, Samaria, there's a, a great gathering of believers. And the disciples didn't... Uh, they were really saying, well, let's have lunch. Uh, when Jesus was saying something wonderful was beginning to happen. And... I think before we begin to look at Jesus' conversation with the woman, it's perhaps helpful to realize that it's possible as Christians to allow good things to take the place of best things. Uh, Jesus and the disciples were on a journey, and it was the middle of the day, it was very hot, Jesus was sat by the well, he was thirsty, the disciples went to buy food. It's a good thing, there's nothing wrong with eating and having lunch, especially when they're on a journey and they need that. Uh, and yet... Sometimes those things that are good push out the things that really matter, the best of all things. And that's what happened for the disciples that particular day. Because uh, when they came back, they found Jesus talking with a woman. And uh, they were surprised to think that, first of all, he was talking with a, a woman. Every day, Jewish men thanked God that they were not women. And uh, this was not just a woman, it was a Samaritan woman. And uh, I'm using the NIV, but no one asked her, what do you want? Or said to him, why are you talking with her? I can't believe that he's, as far as they're concerned, wasting his time talking with this woman. They don't care about her. They don't see her. They don't see her as a person uh, that matters. And so the woman leaves, and she leaves her water jar and she goes back to the town and she says an amazing thing. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And as soon as she... Uh, the disciples say to Jesus, Rabbi, let's, eat, let's have lunch now. Good job she's gone, isn't it? We can have our lunch now. And uh, Jesus says to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? You see, their obsession is food. 
he, he's talking about something that sustains him. In fact, he explains it. My food is through the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus was tired, but he's been reinvigorated by his conversation with this woman. And now he's not interested in eating. He's interested in what is happening in this woman's life and is going to happen in the lives of the people of the town to which she belongs. And uh, he says, well, normally you save four months more and then the harvest. That's what happens. You sow, people are sowing now and if four months or more time, they will reap the harvest. Uh, but he says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life. This is the point so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Normally there's a gap between sowing and reaping. But today, sowing and reaping is happening on the same day. Sower and reaper rejoice together. But they couldn't see that. He says, open your eyes. Because they were so fixated on something they needed to do to eat that they couldn't see what God was doing. You know, it's possible, isn't it, to Christians to be busy with life. You know, weeks fly by, don't they? And uh, we're busy with all kinds of things. But are the best things first in our lives? In, in the words of Jesus, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. God, we're full of good intentions. And, and we live in a world of great need. And, and somehow as Christians and as churches, we're struggling to realize And it's not to say we're doing terribly wrong things, but we're not allowing the most important things to be top of the list. Uh, and above all, longing and working for the salvation of lost people. And, and one of the reasons, perhaps, why the disciples weren't thinking like that is because they were on a journey and they were going through Samaria. And as far as they were concerned, nothing ever happened in Samaria. Jesus' ministry, when he's going to Jerusalem and uh, some of the disciples go into a Samaritan village to buy some food and they're treated very badly, they want to call judgment down upon that town. So there was this tension, as the woman brings out, between Jews and Samaritans. So there was no real expectation. And, and, and it's that expectation that's really important. And I think as we get going again after COVID, we've got to ask ourselves, what are our expectations? When we were in Deeside, every, every year we did a house-to-house -house visitation. We would visit about 3,000 homes a year in three or four teams, working every Monday evening, going out, calling, talking to people. Every year, we saw somebody converted through that ministry. But I remember one occasion, we hadn't had so many encouragements in recent years, and we were talking about doing it, and somebody said, a young man in the church said, what's the point? You go to all these homes, hardly anybody comes to faith. And I thought, yes, you know, that's exactly what undermines our zeal to serve the Lord. What's the point? And we can feel like that sometimes. We've We've done a lot, but what has come from it? And so perhaps the disciples would say, well, it was reasonable for us to have no expectation because that was the normal situation. But Jesus sees a woman. That's where this whole happens. His eyes are open. He, he sees somebody in, in the ordinary course of life. And God opens up a, a wonderful opportunity. <laughs> I don't always listen to the celebration service uh, on Sunday mornings. Uh, but this morning I turned it on and was glad I did because it came from Arasachan and John Funnell was taking it. And they were remembering Mother's Day and he had all sorts of people from the congregation, mothers, talking about their faith. 
And it was just lovely to hear the variety of people whose lives were being touched. There was a lady from the traveller community, uh, and there was a lady who was a teacher, and there was a lady who was an engineer. And, and, and the Lord has opened a door in that little community. There were 14 members when they called John. I was helping them to find a minister, and they're almost all ladies, uh, and almost all, at least over 70. I didn't ask them how old they were, but uh, I would guess they were at least 70. And then God led them to call John, and, and the Lord's just opened an opportunity and such a variety of backgrounds. And uh, we heard a little bit about that on the service this morning. Well, Jesus is, he has, and the place where this whole thing starts is with a conversation with a woman at the well. And uh, Jesus is sitting by the well, he's weary, he's on a journey, uh, he's thirsty. It's about the sixth hour, that's midday. And uh, while he's sitting at the well, the, the well that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, a Samaritan come, woman comes to draw water. And Jesus asks her a simple question. Will you give me a drink? Now you know, as Jesus saw that woman coming to the well at midday, because he had his eyes open, he knew immediately that this woman had a need. Quite apart from later in the conversation, he shows an insight into her uh, family situation. He knows something from the fact that she's coming to draw water in the middle of the day. And there's a saying that mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun. I think Welsh people do it too. Because we see the sun so rarely, we go out the moment we see it. But people who live in hot countries don't do things like carrying water in the middle of the day. Some years ago I went to the Amazon uh, and was up about 1,500 miles in the Amazon, a little town called Tefe, and a pastor took me to show me a boat that they were renovating to visit the little villages and communities uh, near to the town. And we stood watching, looking at this boat and the work that was being done, and after I said, would you mind if we could move into the shade? Because it's really quite hot, and, and people don't stand out in hot places in uh, hot countries like we do. And so she's coming to draw water in the middle of the day. And not only that, apparently there were two wells which served this community. Now she says the well is deep. It was an old well that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And it wasn't the best well in the town to get water from. There was another one. So this woman is choosing to draw water in the middle of the day. She's coming to a less popular well, why is she doing it? It raises questions. And as we go around in our lives day by day, do, do, we, do we look at people? Do we, would we notice if somebody was very sad as they were walking along? Would we notice that? Or, or if somebody just looked troubled and anxious? Because we're busy, aren't we, with our lives? We're rushing here and there. But Jesus sees the woman and he knows that she's got a need. You don't, you don't draw what, what People still have to carry water uh, to their homes. And it's a hard job. It is usually the women who do it. When our children, our older children were young, we went camping and we bought some equipment. And I remember going to the camping shop and buying the equipment. They say, look, we've got water carriers. And uh, you've got this one. It's about that sort of size. And you've got this one, which is about that size. Which one do you want? And I thought, oh, it'd be a good idea to have the big one. 
Uh, we won't have to get the water so often. But when we started camping, I realized that wasn't necessarily the best choice because we got to the camping site and we chose a nice spot to put the tent and then we said, where's the water tap? And it was the other side of the, of the field. And we, we took this big container and filled it up and it was really a struggle to carry it back. And then uh, we were there and I'd say to the children, you don't have to wash every day. Um, no, no need to clean your teeth today, you know. You, why are you drinking all that? Because we didn't want to go back and forth lugging the water because it's a really tough job. So here's this woman and she's coming to draw water and she's doing it in the middle of the day. Is it she hasn't had time to do it? Uh, or is it she's coming for the second time? She's got a big household to look after? We don't know, but just having his eyes open. They don't see her, but Jesus sees her. And we need to see people because our main evangelistic opportunities are out there, not in here. It's where we meet and interact with people that we have great opportunities. In a society that doesn't really care. We, we talk about community care, but the fact is the community doesn't care. Everyone's busy with their own lives, but Jesus cares. And often Christians say, you know, I wouldn't know how to start a conversation with a non-Christian. Well, Jesus gives us an example. He doesn't start by saying, are you saved? That's not his first question. In fact, he turns it the other way. Will you give me a drink? You're, you're coming to draw water and I'm really thirsty. Would it be possible for just you to give me a little drink from the water you're going to draw? And often it's, it's having needs that other people, non-Christians, can help us with. You know, you've got a problem, you... You're a man, you're doing a job in the house, you haven't got a tool. and you, It's easy to ring your Christian friend who lives five miles away rather than to talk to your neighbor who lives five yards away. Uh, once I needed some help with soldering, I need help with more than every do-it-yourself job. And I went to see our neighbor and said, have you got a soldering iron? He said, yes. He said, and then he obviously understands me because he said, would you like me to do it for you? And I said, oh, yes, please. And he'd done it in no time at all and the solder went in the right place whereas it had been all over the place with me. Chance to speak chance to engage with them. Will you give me a drink? She's going to have water. Will she give it to him? And, uh, well, her answer is not encouraging. She says, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then, none of the translations put the next sentence in brackets. I'm not quite sure where they do that. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. I don't see why she didn't say that. She's saying, this is rich, isn't it? You Jewish people want nothing to do with us. In fact, you won't drink from the same vessels we drink from, but now when you need something, then you want us to give it to you. People say that about Christians, don't they? You don't take any notice of us, and then suddenly we want something. Well, that's the sort of accusation she has here. I can't believe that you asked me that. In other words, it's no. And uh, Jesus responds very interesting. We're afraid, aren't we, we'll get a bad response. And if we got a bad response, we tend to say, well, wrong person, wrong day, uh, nice to meet you, and let's go our separate ways. But Jesus doesn't. He says this to if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman picks up what he's saying. He's claiming that he is great. <coughs> he uses this phrase, the gift of God the messianic hope. And Jesus is saying, well, you won't give me a drink of water, but if you asked me, 
I would give you living water. Isn't that a wonderful summary of the good news of the gospel? If we come to God and ask him for what we need for forgiveness, he forgives us. Our problem is we won't come and ask. But he's ready to help us. He's ready to meet us. And Jesus is saying to this woman, despite the fact you won't give me anything to drink, if you asked me, I would give you living water, a symbol of eternal life. But the woman says, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his flocks and his herds. So she's now going to tell him a few things. He's claiming to be someone great. I suppose you think you're greater than Jacob, do you? I wonder what she thought about that later when she told her friends. You know what I said to him? He's Messiah. And I said to him, you must think you're greater than Jacob. This well was good enough for him. Where are you going to get this living water? Perhaps there was water that bubbled up. There must have been some source of water for the well. And she says, well, if you're going to get down to the new water, you're going to have to go very deep to get it. And uh, where are you going to get it from? You've got nothing to draw. And, and all, the while, all the way along the line, you, you sense that this woman is a, a damaged person. She's a hurt person. She's prickly. She's not easy to get along with. And, and if you and I had got in conversation with her, perhaps we would have regretted getting in conversation with her because she, she just wanted to make an argument. And basically she's saying, I don't really believe. And the woman perhaps has suffered at the hands of Jewish people, Jewish men. And now here's a, a man, and he's talking about giving her living water, but she's saying, I, I don't really believe it. And you know, every time that she responds to Jesus in a negative way, Jesus never responds to her in the same way that she responds to him. He's always positive, and he always moves the conversation along. Because she's said, are you greater than our father Jacob? Where will you get this water from? And then, then he says this. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And, you know, he's beginning to touch the reality of life, isn't he? You drink cool, refreshing water, and it isn't long before you're thirsty again. We have experiences in life. And, you know, when we're young, we think if only we had this or had that or went there or went there, did this, we'd be happy. But no, no happiness really satisfies. It's fleeting. It's elusive. And saying to this woman, I understand. You've got to keep on coming to draw water. And that's what she picks up in her answer. And she says, uh, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. How is she saying that? She's not saying, oh, I'd love to have that water you're going to give me. No, she's not saying that. She says, I'd love to have some of this everlasting water. But I don't believe it. I don't believe it exists. And that's the cynicism of a, a person who's experienced sadness in her life. And, and our society is a cynical 
society. The, the things to do with Jesus and the gospel and that which truly satisfies, people don't really believe in. Because the wonder of the gospel is that when you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior, you're satisfied in him. There's a deep satisfaction in your heart, whether you have a lot or a little, whether you're well or not well, you know that all is well in your relationship with him. You have the gift of eternal life, a life that begins now and carries on into eternity. Uh, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life, that constant refreshing that comes from God when we know the Savior. And it's a wonderful thing to know that and to be satisfied in him. But this woman doesn't believe it and lots of people don't believe it. But you see how he's, he's moving the conversation forward? If you knew the gift of God, if you asked me, I would give you living water. Uh, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. He's touching her, her life, her reality of a situation. As she came every day to draw water, a routine task, and perhaps as she walked back and forth, I don't know how long a journey she had, but she must have often asked, what's it all about? What's life all about? Uh, and in our society, with a reasonable degree of affluence for many people. Some are not affluent, but many are. But this question, what's it all about? So you've got what you've got, you do what you do, but what's the meaning, what's the purpose? And she's asking that as she comes back and forth. And actually, she probably doesn't believe there is any purpose. And now she's met this, this man, and he sees her and he knows her. And Jesus takes over the conversation at this point. And it's really important to understand him at this point. Go call your husband and come back. There was a reason why, a number of reasons why he would say that. <clears throat> One is that they're in a lonely place <clears throat> and there's a man and a woman and they're not married and that wasn't appropriate culturally. It would be good for the husband to be there. But it's also linked to the fact that he has an insight into her domestic situation. He says, I have no husband. I don't know how she does that. Does she look him in the eye and say, I have no husband? Uh, as if to say, well, what do you know about me? Or does she look down and say, I have no husband? And then I find this one of the most difficult verses to read in the passage. Jesus says to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. That and say, well, you've been giving me a hard time. Now let me tell you a few home truths. You're right when you say you have no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands and now you're living with a man who's not your husband. Let me tell you how sinful your life is. That's how we tend to understand this woman. I think the Pharisees would have spoken to her like that. But Jesus didn't speak to her like that, I'm absolutely sure. What he's saying is, I know. I know your heartbreak. In that sort of society, it wasn't the women who divorced the men, it was the men who divorced the women. It was very easy for Jewish men to divorce their wives, just write a bill of divorcement. Moses said you could do that, so they just did it. Uh, you talk too loud, you burn the cakes, I don't like you. Uh, I'm divorcing you. 
And this woman had gone through five divorces. She wasn't a young woman. And uh, when she first got married, probably as a, a teenager, everyone who came, went to the wedding said, well, we hope you're happy ever after. But one day her husband said to her, I don't love you anymore. And I'm divorcing you. And there was nothing she could do about it. All she could do was go back to her family. And then the people began to speak. Perhaps one of the reasons why she didn't go to the other well was because the other women were there. And when she turned over that well, they all said, here she is. This is a five times married woman. And you know what she's doing now? She's, she's living with someone who's not her husband. So there was that first divorce and the pain of it. And then another man said, well, I'd like to marry you. And uh, the, the woman thought, can I be happy again? And he, he assured her that he loved her. But after a while, he said to her, I don't love you anymore. And I'm divorcing you. And she was sick in the pit of her stomach. She'd been like that the first time it happened. And now she felt it again. And she had to go back to her family. And the people talked. And then it happened again and again and again. And now she's living with a man. That, that's not like our modern society where she chooses not to get married. But the man says to her, well, I'm not marrying you. You're soiled goods. But if you want to wash for me and cook for me and look after my house for me, well, I'll let you live with me. And, and that's what she accepts. Because there's no future for a woman in that society who's gone through those experiences. <coughs> it's no wonder when she arrives at the well and sees a man, she's really not thrilled. And a Jewish man at that point. So, and yet Jesus is saying, I, I know. I know all about you. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That our Heavenly Father knows all about us and doesn't reject us. I think if we knew all about each other, we might have real struggles sometimes in coping with what we know. But Jesus knows all about this woman. And uh, she feels safe in that knowledge. He cares for her. She f he feels her sadness. He feels her pain. He understands her. And that's why he's gentle with her. You know when you go to see a doctor and you've got a pain perhaps in your abdomen and the doctor examines, well, they don't examine too much these days, but normally they examine and they touch and they say, is it there? And you say, no, is it there? No, is it there? And you jump because that's the sore point. And the doctor then doesn't sort of press that sore point and say, oh, that's where it is, isn't it? They're very gentle. And Jesus is touching the, the deep sadness of this woman. And he's saying, I know. I know your pain. Just, just imagine one Sunday, uh, a lady comes into the, uh, the, the service and she sits down and she sits next to you and you say, oh, hello, it's really good to see you. And after the service, you turn to her and say, I don't think I've seen you here before, have I? No, no, it's the first time I've come. Uh, do you live locally? Well, we're not far away, but she doesn't tell you where she lives. And then it's a natural question, isn't it, to say, uh, you've got a family? Suppose the woman said to you, well, actually, I've been married and divorced five times, and I'm now living with a man. What would you say? Would you say, oh. Or would you say, so glad you came. We've all had sadnesses here. We've all had struggles here. 
and we found Jesus to be the one who meets our need. You're so welcome. Please come again. Because just imagine what it would have meant to that woman to come into a chapel where she would think that all the people who went to the chapel uh, were good people, uh, good living people, and she wasn't. And she felt a terrible sense of failure and of pain. Because one of the things that this woman says about Jesus is, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And, and you see, this woman who's come into the church, she's come for a reason. She's come seeking. This woman at the well had no idea she was going to meet Jesus that day. But Jesus begins to give her hope. Uh, she says, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain and so on. And that is what Jesus says to her. Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You're going to be a true worshipper, he says. Now, Samaritans felt second-rate people. They, they had their own temple, and they were a mixed race, and they were despised by the Jews. But Jesus said, no, you're going to be a true worshipper. And then this woman says, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus does a very unusual thing. He doesn't do this often. But he declares to her, I who speak to you am he. An amazing declaration. She says, I know Messiah is coming. There was this hope going back through the centuries that one day someone would come. And when he comes, the way she puts it is, he will explain everything to us. He'll tell us what it's all about. And there was this golden strand. One day he's coming. One day he's coming. And they waited and waited. And now Jesus says, I've come. I who speak to you at your local well am Messiah. Wow. How amazing. And she is absolutely amazed at this revelation. Go back to Our Lady who comes to chapel. And you say to her, well, why have you come? She said, well, you know, when I was a child, she said, I, I went to chapel, I went to Sunday school, and I heard lovely stories about Jesus. And there he helped everyone. And actually, my life is very sad at the moment. And I thought, I need to hear about Jesus. I need to hear something about him. And that's why I've come. And this woman says, Messiah's coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything. And he does with this glorious revelation. And as you follow the conversation, you see it building up. Can I have a drink? No. And then I who speak to you am Messiah. And just then, the disciples arrive with lunch. And they want to say, what do you want? Why are you talking with her? It's possible to be so out of touch with our Lord thinking so differently, behaving so differently that the things that take over our lives take that sort of precedence. And when this woman leaves, she gets the message, these are Jewish men, they're like, she's met this sort before. But it isn't just that. In fact, she leaves her water jar. That's why she came, but it doesn't matter anymore. Jesus was weary, but he's not weary anymore. She came to draw water, but it doesn't matter to draw water now because something more important has come. You know something of the history of revival in Wales. 
There were times when people went to the revival meetings and at the end of the meeting they went home and they left their hat or something and people would say, you know, John's left his hat, he must be, the Lord must be speaking to him. Doesn't matter anymore. And the jar's there, but the woman's gone. And she, she's gone back to say something amazing to the people. She goes back uh, to the, the village and uh, she says, come see a man. I, I don't think she ever thought she would say that. She'd had plenty of men. But now she'd met the real man. And he told me everything I did. Could this be the Christ? You know, there must have been something of a change about this woman. She's met a man. And he says he's the Messiah. See, lots of people say, well, what does she know? We don't listen to her. We know the sort of woman she is, but but there's been a transformation because she's met Jesus. And so they start to come out and, and the disciples are wanting to have lunch and Jesus says, no thanks, because I've got food which is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work and I'm sowing and reaping on the same day and you will see that blessing. And, and the people come and they, they, they ask him to stay longer. And uh, he stays two days and they listen to him and many more become believers. And they say to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Isn't that a wonderful statement? Not just the savior of the Jews, the savior of the Samaritans and of the Gentiles. He is the savior. There is no other. And we know it. And it all happened because Jesus had his eyes open. He saw a woman. He started a conversation. She was a sort of nobody, really. Nobody took much notice of her. She was just one of those sad people, you know, one of those people whom life had passed by. Because as far as she was concerned, there was no hope of things ever getting better. Because she was too old and she didn't have any hope anymore until she met that man who told her everything she ever did. But she, he did it in such a way that he didn't condemn her, but he gave her hope. And they must have seen something about that on her face. And now they said, you know, we believe because of what you said, but now we've, we've heard him for ourselves. When have you heard this man, whatever your life might be, whatever problems and pains you've had, he knows. But he is the one who gives this living water which is a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And we are satisfied in him. We look about on a world that is dissatisfied. That's why there are so many complaints. No politician can meet them all. Uh, no leader can meet them all because it's an inner dissatisfaction. But when you know this man, this Messiah, he explains everything. And through all the different paths of life, he leads us and guides us. And we know, we know, not just think, we know that he really is the saviour of the world.